Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. In any other year, January 1st is supposed to symbolize a new start. But for schools in the U.S., which started off the school year with so much hope after a year of remote learning, it's now just deja vu. Things looked to be moving in a more positive direction for schools in the fall. That is, until Omicron changed the game. This much more transmissible variant spiked COVID cases in the U.S. to numbers not seen since the early days of the pandemic and immediately raised the question to go remote or not to go remote. With the early uncertainty about this variant and knowing the damage that remote learning can cause many students, making the hard decisions on that proved tricky and was leaving teachers, students, and parents frightened and frustrated. The best thing for our kids is to be in school. I I truly believe that. Now teachers are walking out, political leaders are digging in their heels, and kids are caught in the middle. Schools are reopening after the holiday break, but with the surge in COVID cases and the difficulty in getting tested, United Federation of Teachers President Michael Mulgrew says schools are not ready to open their doors. In San Francisco, where multiple parents and students tell KCBS the school is having an outbreak of COVID, there are many more positive cases. And 10th grader Kyra Butler says some of her classmates are still going to class sick. How do you feel about that? That's nasty. I don't like it. I haven't been to school myself. I can't risk getting my mama sick. Whether it's dealing with Omicron or another variant, how long before we figure out best practices? How long before we get this right? In this episode of Connect the Dots, why teachers are taking such a stand, why students are now feeling empowered, and whether the new focus on COVID testing as the solution for schools really is the key. I'm Linda Lopez, and this is Connect the Dots from Odyssey, a weekly podcast where we draw together multiple perspectives to unpack a single compelling story. Discussions around education are more complicated than ever. And two years into the pandemic, school districts around the country are still struggling with whether to allow remote learning or lean aggressively toward keeping students in person in schools. And I know there's questions about staffing. I know there's questions about testing. There's a lot of questions, but we're going to turn those question marks into an exclamation point. We're staying open. 
Mayors such as New York's Eric Adams and Chicago's Lori Lightfoot insist that school buildings stay open, citing the evidence that remote learning hinders students' ability to learn and pointing out that parents from lower socioeconomic backgrounds struggle to keep up with the child's care and the resources that are needed to aid their children in remote education. In the search for answers, many are now leaning toward ramping up COVID testing in schools to keep students and staff safe. Some observers noting that testing in schools has been underutilized. So could COVID testing be the answer? In my mind, the testing is not the be-all end-all in my mind for what is going to help schools stay open. That's Dr. Anna Burstein, assistant professor of population health at NYU's Grossman School of Medicine. She's been studying how to mitigate the impact of the pandemic, specifically in schools. Really the bread and butter of what is going to keep schools open is the layers of protection, the layers of mitigation. So the mask wearing during these epidemic waves, the social distancing, the uh, air circulation. So whether that's running air purifiers or opening windows or having some central HVAC system, those air exchanges are so important. Um, and the hand washing and hygiene. So all of those layers are what makes school a safe place for children to spend time. Testing is a part of that, but if you want to use testing as one of the layers of protection, similar to masks or vaccines I didn't mention before, or uh, you know the air exchanges, you have to test incredibly frequently. She says that actually decreasing transmission would require purchasing a lot more tests. So, you know, everybody has to be testing once a week or more. Uh, We now have um, uh, Omicron, which is a variant that has an even shorter incubation period. So you potentially need to test even more often. And currently in the United States, we just don't have the number of tests to do that. Once we have um, it together to purchase much larger amounts of these tests to distribute them, it's completely possible that everybody could be testing themselves very frequently, but we're, we're not there now. And so That means that testing needs to be used in in more of a niche way. It's not enough to be a general layer of protection like vaccines and masks and other things in schools. It can um, help to at least isolate people, at least a fraction of people who are infectious. So it can knock down transmission a bit. And importantly, it can also give us a sense of are schools a safe environment compared to communities? Berstein could be right, at least according to recent research conducted by Dr. Michael Mina, a professor of epidemiology at Harvard, and now the chief science officer of EMED, a company that distributes at-home tests. His data claims that students would have to be tested nearly every day to mitigate the virus. But students are not tested every day, and the testing that is done at schools is usually random, or at most, once or twice a week per student. So Burstein says that means places like New York have implemented other measures to try to ensure safety. What we know so far, for example, New York City, the nation's largest um, school, public school system, um, in, in the first year of the pandemic, did a study comparing that prevalence of infection in the community and the schools and found that it was very comparable. 
And if you think about what happened from last school year to this school year, well, we have reopened our lives a lot more. We're spending a lot more time around other people. We're mixing. We're, we're not uh, you know, locked down as families, staying home. And at the same time, schools have actually upped their game. Uh, here in New York City, there are now two air purifiers in every classroom. The COVID protocols are much more ironed out. Schools have figured out how to have separate entrances and staircases up and down and, and everything else. Burstein says New York Governor Kathy Hochul's decision to put kids back in school is actually a pretty smart move and will help protect kids. We have data from the last school year, which really supports the governor's claims in that when you looked at what percent of people, if you were just to test randomly in schools, will test positive for SARS-CoV-2, and then you look at those rates in the community, they are not higher in the school environment. They're pretty comparable. We have to look in some situations, you could argue there might be actually a little bit lower among people who attend schools. You have to make sure you adjust for all kinds of things. But the the point is, if you saw double the, the rates or much higher rates among people attending schools, you start to wonder, you know, could schools be the hub of transmission? And that absolutely was not the case. It's good for kids in so many ways to spend time in school. It's great for their education. Of course, it's great for them socially in terms of emotional support. Um, But it also is just a much more controlled and safer environment for most kids compared to where they would be spending time otherwise. At least for SARS coronavirus 2, schools and young kids are not really the hubs of transmission. And any parent will tell you there are lots of diseases where kids and schools definitely are the hub of transmission. But SARS-CoV-2, because it spreads in particles in the air, kids have small lungs that don't generate so many particles and also don't inhale as many particles into their smaller lungs. So they don't, uh, they don't uh, participate as much. They don't contribute as much to transmission. And so in the beginning, we didn't know that. So we, we, uh, we chose the most stringent policy, which is just shut down schools. Everybody learned from home. And since then, it's been this process of de-escalating that extreme response. So at first, you know, reopening schools, but only letting half of kids or a third of kids into the classroom at a time and shifts. Um, And in in New York City, we had about half of kids who were just full-time studying at home and then gradually bringing all kids back into the classroom, Um, but with these very stringent policies that if there was more than one positive case in a whole school, the school would close. If there was a positive case in a classroom, the classroom would close for two weeks. So that was still very disruptive, very uncertain. And and bit by bit, we've been able to de-escalate that. And and now, even if they're unvaccinated, um, they can do something called called test to stay, which is uh, they they get sent home with a test kit. Um, They test that same night that that exposure happened. And then uh, currently they're being given one more test to test again in five days time. And hopefully as we get more tests on hand, they can be given a test, you know, for every day for the next week or so after that exposure. And so, you know, step by step by step, we are making SARS-CoV-2 less disruptive for kids. We're letting tests be part of that equation through the test to stay strategy. And we're just generally acknowledging that kids really have contributed the least to transmission, both, you know, really biologically, they're, they're not the biggest transmitters of this disease. They have personally the lowest risk 
uh, compared to adults, but they've really suffered the most. You know, there are many cities that had bars and restaurants open while they had schools closed and kids have paid a terrible toll. So we are now using testing and using our knowledge to try to reverse that. Still, both teachers and students have to feel safe in schools, and they want to see their school districts and local leaders taking strong steps to ensure that. And we're seeing evidence of that in districts throughout the country. Parents, as well as teachers, have been making themselves heard as the standoff between the teachers' union and Chicago Public Schools sees another day without classes. Police shut down LaSalle Street in front of City Hall as the Chicago Teachers Union mounted a horn-blowing drive-by protest here in the Loop. Meanwhile, online, community groups were outlining what they call TLC, trust learning and care demands for getting teachers and their children back into the classrooms. In Chicago's public schools, a clash that erupted between city leaders and the teachers union over COVID safety measures and remote learning led to a standoff where teachers walked out and classes were canceled for five days which made national headlines. We spoke to reporter Rachel Pearson of Odyssey's WBBM News Radio in Chicago to learn why the situation there has been so chaotic. So the, the teachers union, their demands, they want more testing. Uh, they wanted better masks. They wanted metrics in place so that individual schools could shut down if there's a surge or an outbreak in cases. Chicago Public Schools is standing pretty firm in its belief that the safest place for students to be is in school, in person. According to the CDC, that's where we're seeing the least transmission. Just like other school districts, Chicago Public Schools have navigated a rocky path since March of 2020. As the virus has changed, so has the relationship with Chicago Public Schools and its in-person learning. Students were brought back at the end of last year uh, to do in-person learning, and we had an entire semester of in-person learning this year. We had COVID cases, we had a lot of students quarantining, um, and it was over winter break, really, and the holidays leading up to that, where the Chicagoland area saw this surge in cases, uh, mainly tied to the Omicron variant of COVID-19. But it feels like we've been dealing with this pandemic for quite a while now. So why hasn't Chicago Public Schools prepared for these types of changes? The issue between Chicago Public Schools and the teachers union is that there has not been a safety plan in place since the start of the pandemic. This is something that both sides have, have tried to come to terms with and agree on, but Really, they've just sort of been stringing it along and taking it day by day, following the trends, following the community's positivity rate. And, and now it's just reached a standstill. So what are the specific issues pitting the district and the Chicago Teachers Union against each other? The Chicago Teachers Union has concern uh, that there are measures that should be in place, meaning uh, right now, Chicago Public Schools has an opt-in option for students to get tested for COVID-19, meaning their parents need to sign them up and say, I give consent for my kids to be tested for COVID-19. Um, there's not a lot, I don't have the exact number, but there's not a lot of kids that are signed up for that. And so the teachers union is asking that it be an opt-out program where every single student will be, student and staff, every single child, every single staff member will be tested on a weekly basis unless they're opted out. Um, and they say 
the, the reasoning for that is that it would just give them a more accurate reflection of what's happening in schools. Um, because right now you have a small sample. It's hard to really gauge what's happening inside school buildings. Just outside of Chicago, in suburban Des Plaines Elementary School, opt-out testing was working well as students returned from their winter break. So they rally, they rally the kids that um, are supposed to take this test on a given day. It's weekly, and then mm-hmm. they they provide a saliva sample, and then it goes out, and then we have a contact tracer within the school mm-hmm. district. So if a test comes back positive for the COVID then they'd contact trace, and then they quarantine the students that they're around. That's Erin Dorr, a mother of three students in the district, who's also a substitute teacher there and a member of its COVID-19 task force. She spoke with Connect the Dots just after winter break. Because I don't know the number of families that opt out, but mm-hmm. I would say that any catch that you can to stop the spread is a better help than none. It's a good amount. I can't say exactly the percentage, but it's a good amount. It happens weekly, and Mm -hmm. they really have that incorporated into the learning day. So when you ask about, you know, as a teacher, how the protocols impacted you as a teacher, you know, I could have my class, and then in the middle of the day, we'll have packets of kids pulled out to be able to Mm -hmm. do that uh, saliva testing. Less than 24 hours after she spoke with us, Dor received an email from the district. It was informing parents that school would be closed for a week due to rising COVID cases. So-called emergency school days were being used for the closure. Even though her family was disappointed, Dor understood the decision. And I don't think that anything's required, but I think that that's part of the reason why I'm, I, I put my trust into the school district because mm-hmm. they're going above and beyond, right? I can't say yeah. what every school district is doing, if it's elementary school, up to high school, but all these extra measures, um, it, it's taking more time and more work on staff, but they're doing their best to uh, implement these extra things just to keep our family safe. Chicago public schools also thought they could lean on testing as a COVID mitigation protocol. But those efforts have not been as smooth sailing. Chicago public schools initiated this effort where it was going to send out 150,000 at-home COVID tests in an effort to test students before they came back to school uh, so that, you know, you're not bringing new cases of COVID as people are gathering over the holidays. Well, we know that only a fraction of those were actually submitted by parents and by families taken to FedEx drop boxes. And of the ones that were submitted over the holiday weekend, which was some 40,000 tests, more than half of them were deemed invalid because they took too long to get to the processing center. There were pictures circulating of these FedEx boxes overflowing, quite literally overflowing with these at-home COVID tests that families uh, had to drop off. And Chicago Public Schools was pretty intentional with where it sent the at-home tests. It was mainly schools on Chicago's south and west sides. They're areas that have the lowest vaccination rates. And so the thinking there was this would be the communities most at risk to see COVID positivity. So let's let's put our efforts there. 
but you have to think that's also the area that's underserved and there aren't that many FedEx drop boxes to begin with. So you're asking parents to take time out of their day because in a single day they had to swab their kid and get it in the mail and get it to a drop box. Now I will say Chicago public schools did partner with some public libraries. There were some other locations as well that I can't remember off the top of my head, but there were some community partners to help with that availability. But uh, CPS CEO Pedro Martinez admitted that it was frustrating to see how many of those COVID tests couldn't be processed. And so what he did is, is he allocated, uh, COVID tests to those schools where they had those invalid results. And so when they came back to school that Monday, there were tests in their building. And so the goal was, and, and, and he even said, I think that the best, the best way to move forward is to get kids tested at schools. As both a parent and a teacher, Erin Dorr can see both sides of the issues parents across the country are facing while the pandemic drags on. I, I specifically substitute in the um, elementary aged school grades. So I think that with these added protocols, I would say just things just take more time. I think we all need to just give each other a little bit of grace because my priority is um, their safety and meeting their basic needs. There are some days um, it's hard for me to understand what these littles are saying under a mask or if mm-hmm. they need to take take a break and have a snack. They have to sit in the hallway alone because I can't have them be with their classmates um, taking their mask off eating. So. You know, things like that, I just have to take um, on a case-by-case basis and do my best. Um, I think I'm busier than ever now as a substitute teacher just because the schools are needing so much additional support um, with staff and their own personal um, issues and needing time off to be absent. And so I'm, I'm happy to jump in and help. We asked how she thinks her experience in the suburbs is comparable to what's happening at Chicago's public schools. I guess I can only speak for myself and my experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I think School District 62 being part of the second school task force and having an open line of communication with um, families and school administrators, I really think that the school district is doing their best to balance um, fellow guidelines and be able to keep our kids in school as best they can and safe as possible. I think um, the school district, they've afforded families um, and staff the PPE and the testing options um, if they choose to do so. We're all going through this together, so it's a great way to find best practices, things Mm. as you test what's working and what's not working, and um, everything's in the best interest of our families. The, The real impact that this impasse is having is on families and on students. We're hearing every day from Chicago public schools. We're hearing every day from the Chicago Teachers Union. But as you mentioned, I mean, these are the kids and families who are being impacted. We've heard from families who are struggling on a day's notice to find a babysitter because they can't take off work. We're hearing from parents saying that their schedules have sort of just been upended as they're in this limbo. And and we've heard from students who miss having any type of instruction whatsoever, be it remote or in person. They just want to get back to learning. I will say both sides seem hopeful that they'll reach an agreement. Just this morning, the Chicago Teachers Union said that some progress has been made. Um, CPS is offering KN95 masks for all students and staff, which are those higher quality masks that the union had asked for. There seems to be just this really large boulder (laughs) between these two groups. And that boulder is 
Should students learn remotely? And if so, when? At what point do students leave the classroom, go home, and, and how do we determine when to bring them back? On Wednesday, the Chicago Teachers Union voted to approve a tentative agreement with Chicago Public Schools on enhanced COVID-19 safeguards, such as more masks, more testing, and specific thresholds to shut down in-person learning at schools with high case numbers. Teachers ended their walkout, and students were back in school after nearly a week of canceled classes. But it's not just staff who are taking a stand. In all the clashes and standoffs between adults, it's the students, as we mentioned, that are caught in the middle. And despite the social distancing measures, the mask wearing, and the race to ramp up testing, students in cities around the country say they still don't feel safe. And now, many aren't passively accepting the policies in their cities and schools. They're making their own stand. We're asking the mayor and the OT and the Department of Education to please reevaluate the circumstances that we're being subjected to and close schools down, at least temporarily, in order to stop this spread. Hundreds of students walked out of Brooklyn Tech in New York on Tuesday to protest the continuation of in-person school amid the Omicron wave and to demand a remote option, sending a clear message to Mayor Adams. Brooklyn Tech is one of the city's prestigious specialized high schools and the largest high school in the country, with almost 6,000 students. The school has reported hundreds of COVID cases and high teacher absences since the new year. In Oakland, California, students have asked for PCR tests and KN95 masks to be distributed to all students. And if it's not provided, they demand a shift to remote learning. And many say they'll strike until their demands are met. Oakland School District says it shares the concerns of the students and has already ordered the masks to be distributed. However, they're caught up in the country's snagged supply chain. Even in Chicago, a new group of queer black and brown students have organized what's called the Chicago Radical Youth Alliance, and they're demanding actions similar to the Oakland students with testing and KN95 masks. But in addition, they're asking for things like COVID relief packages and mental health assistance. And many districts are listening. The agreement that the city of Chicago came to with teachers says that a school will switch to remote learning under two conditions, if at least 30% of a school's teachers are absent for two consecutive days, and if more than 40% of a school's population is in quarantine due to a surge. In New Jersey, Newark School Superintendent Roger Leon announced that remote learning would be in place for the first two weeks of 2022, saying that, quote, change has been the only constant in this fight. Now, San Francisco school students and educators are demanding a two-week pause to, quote, flatten the curve. Even New York Mayor Eric Adams signaled this week he would be open to exploring a possible remote option. I'm hopeful. <laughs> Maybe that's because I'm naive and I am tired of, of covering this impasse and I just want it to be over, but I am hopeful. All sides pushing each other for better plans to get us to the place sooner than later where the best COVID options are in place. This episode of Connect the Dots was written and produced by Odyssey's Lauren Berry and KCBS Radio's Sydney Fishman with production assistant from WCBS 880's Dempsey Pilat. 
Sydney Fishman mixed this episode with mastering and additional writing done by Mallory Samara and me. Our executive producer is KCBS Radio's Mallory Samara. You can subscribe to Connect the Dots and listen to past episodes by heading to the Odyssey app and on Apple or Google Podcasts. From WCBS 880 in New York, I'm Linda Lopez. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T Mobile.com.